Deep inside every one of us is a lion waiting to be unleashed. Are you ready to be unleashed into your destiny? As we stand on the edge of time, the web of deception is being unraveled. Carl Joseph offers you the red pill and the keys to unlock the shackles of your mind. Get ready to be transformed by God's supernatural power. Let's join him now. Friend, today we'll turn our attention to one of the most famous rapture passages in the Bible, and that is, of course, 1 Corinthians 15, 50-57. Now, this passage in 1 Corinthians speaks explicitly of the transformation that will occur when we're caught up with Jesus in the air into glory, and the simultaneous transformation of our corruptible body into an incorruptible one. Now, as you know, we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, or the blessed hope spoken of in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 13. And of course, friend, the logical response is how can anyone have any blessed hope if we, the bride of Christ, will be dragged through the mud and blood or severely beaten by the events of the tribulation period? There's no hope in that whatsoever, yet people wrongly insist on this false premise that they'll go through the tribulation. And the reason they do is because they don't understand the love of God the Father, in my opinion. No, friend, a loving Father God would never allow his bride to be treated so badly after his own son died for his bride and took her shame and suffering on the cross. People who claim they'll go through the tribulation have no real comprehension of what they will encounter once we are raptured to glory. To suggest the bride will endure the great tribulation means Christ's sacrifice was not enough. Jesus took God's wrath on the cross for us, friend. God's wrath is appointed for his enemies. It says that in the book of Nahum. Jesus has delivered us from the wrath to come. And in several instances in the book of Revelation, it describes the tribulation period as God's wrath. It's not for us, friend. And do not forget, friend, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says, God has not appointed us unto wrath. That's the church. We're not an enemy of God, friend. So let us turn now to our source text for this broadcast, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. And let me read it for you now from the King James. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, did you notice at the very beginning of the verse, 50, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In the very next verse, Paul says we shall be changed. That word changed is a lasso in the Greek language. And one meaning for it is an exchange or substitute of one thing for another. I personally contend this exchange will include the substitution of our blood with God's glory, meaning that once we receive our glorified body of flesh and bone, in this transformation, our blood will be absent and substituted for God's glory, enabling us to finally enter into the presence of the Father. Amen? 
Only with this new body can we enter Christ's kingdom in its fullness and partake of the new wine and attend the feast, that is, the wedding supper of the Lamb. With our glorified bodies, we'll finally put the fig leaf down, friend, and be restored back to the condition of Adam prior to the fall of man. Now in verse 51, Paul divulges a mystery, and I believe this mystery was revealed to the Apostle Paul in the desert of Arabia. In two instances, in Galatians chapter 1 and chapters 4, Paul, by his own testimony, reveals his journey into the Arabian desert. If you recall, there was a three-year gap between the time Paul met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and the time he went up to Jerusalem. Paul then goes on to explain, there's a generation coming, and friend, I believe that it's our current generation, that shall not sleep or die, but we shall be changed. In verse 52, Paul describes this change in the twinkling of an eye. This twinkling has been estimated to be 300 to 400 milliseconds. Since there's 1,000 milliseconds in each second, the twinkling of an eye equates to approximately a third of a second. Now, other scientists believe the twinkling of an eye is the amount of time it takes for a ray of light to hit and bounce off the eye. This, of course, would be even quicker than the blink of an eye. Either way, friend, this coming rapture will occur so rapidly that if someone is blinking while it occurs, they'll surely miss it. The rapture will be very swift, so fast, in fact, the remaining world will be lost in utter chaos trying to fathom the precise cause for the immediate expulsion of potentially one and a half to two billion people from this planet in less than one second. It's in this event we, the church, receive a body that will not be subject to death any longer that Paul refers to in verse 53 when he says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. It's in this very moment when we receive our immortal and incorruptible bodies that death is finally swallowed up and will have no more sting over us who believe in Christ. But let me now get to the crux of our message today. What exactly is this last trump that Paul mentions in verse 52? This has long been a mystery to some scholars, albeit let me divulge today what I believe to be the correct meaning of Paul's mention of this last trump. I will provide you two views, one correct and one false in my opinion, and let you decide, friend. However, let me remind you that in Scripture, whenever a trumpet is blown, it's usually a summons to either battle, worship, or an assembly of the people. And friend, I believe this trump will serve as a summons for the rapture of the church and the assembling of ourselves together to meet Christ in the air. Now, there are typically two trumpets in Scripture. One is made of a ram's horn, known as the shofar, and the others were silver trumpets, typically. The silver trumpets were used more commonly for a call to war and calling the camp of Israel to line up in order, etc. Yet the ram's horn was used to assemble the people and announce the year of Jubilee in particular. Don't forget that the trumpets were committed to the priests and the preaching of the gospel was committed to God's servants and that's us, friend. There's only one high priest in heaven and the blowing of the trumpet will be committed to him. Whether God blows the trumpet himself or he gets an angel to blow it for him, it's a call for us to be assembled in the soon coming rapture of the church. Now, if we observe the Feast of Trumpets, also known as Rosh Hashanah, the book of Leviticus says this feast should be announced with a blast of trumpets and treated as a holy convocation. The Feast of Trumpets falls as a landmark day of rest and a gathering of the people for that rest. It falls on the first day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, and it comes at the end of the grape harvest. This represents the close of the old farming year and the beginning of the new. 
So we know that the Feast of Trumpets marks the beginning of a new agricultural year. I believe Psalm 81 and verse 3 specifically references the Feast of Trumpets as it describes the time when God delivered his people Israel from out of Egypt, which is a typology of the world system. Did you get that, friend? The trumpets were blown when Israel escaped the bondage of Egypt and was removed from tyranny and oppression in God's perfect timing. Could it be this feast of trumpets is a type of the rapture of the church and our removal from the world also? Some believe it is. Now, a shofar in particular was used to announce the Feast of Trumpets, outlined in the book of Leviticus. And get this, friend. One of its primary purposes was to gather the people for the feast. And that feast for us, friend, is the wedding supper of the Lamb. A shofar would be a trumpet, and it would be typically forged from a ram's horn. But don't miss this, friend. The ram's horn was the trumpet blown at the Feast of Trumpets, but they were also blown to announce the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, all debts were cancelled. It was a time of great celebration and joy, a time to start over again. The rapture of the church is a type of jubilee, no doubt. Now, some scholars believe the rapture of the church will take place during this Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah. Yet there's a strong case that the rapture might fall on Passover or Pentecost, but I will expound upon that more in another broadcast. Anyway, let's get to the details of this last trump. On the Feast of Trumpets, there were four sounds made from the shofar itself. The first sound is the takah, which is basically a single, very short blast that sounds like an alarm. It basically went, that's it. The second sound is the shavarim, which consists of three short notes. Rising in tone, this sound is supposed to resemble a man groaning or moaning in repentance. That's my effort at it. Then thirdly, we have the terua, which consists of nine staccato blasts in rapid succession. The fourth and final blast, however, is called the takaya ha gedula, and this is the longest and loudest sound emitted from the trumpet or shofar, in which the person blowing the trumpet blows as long and as hard as he can until he runs out of breath. That's probably about 10 to 15 seconds, depending on how big your lungs are. But friend, don't miss this. This long-lasting blast until the air runs out is the last trump that Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians. And I believe most of Paul's Corinthian audience would have understood that. Now, there are those who will say, you know, no, pastor, this trumpet is the last trumpet sounded by the seventh angel in the book of Revelation. They then go on to say that this last trump by the angel is the fulfillment of the mystery of God in Revelation 10.7. Friend, having a few trumpets in the book of Revelation and a mystery is no adequate interpretation for us going through the tribulation whatsoever. What is the purpose of being raptured at that point anyway, after we've endured such colossal suffering for seven straight years? Friend, the reason that Paul did not expound further about this trump of God in the passage and in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 is that the people Paul was speaking to fully understood this concept of the last trump and needed no further explanation, as they were all familiar with the Feast of Trumpets. This final long blast of the shofar was the fourth sound for the Feast of Trumpets. In some scholars' opinion, this knowledge serves as a typology and validation for the timing of the rapture of the church occurring during the Feast of Trumpets. It could be, friend. It might occur on this feast, which typically falls in the second or third week of the month of September. 
There is, however, a strong argument that the rapture might occur on the Feast of Pentecost or Passover, like I mentioned before. But let me reiterate, this trumpet is a trumpet of God, not an angel's trumpet. And this is an important distinction to note. Thereafter, it's not one of the same trumpets mentioned numerous times in the book of Revelation. They are trumpets for judgment. This is a trump for a call home. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words of the rapture. The trump of God, friend, is the trump that will sound your coming home. It's God's trumpet, not the trumpet of an angel, as mentioned in Revelation. These trumpets are separate and distinct. They're not one and the same. One trumpet calls us home for assembly, and the others announce judgment upon the world that rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. The last trump spoken of in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians is a commanding shout to incite the church into action, and the voice of the archangel will provide a witness to God's command for his bride to be caught up finally to meet him in the air after 2,000 years of Jesus waiting very very patiently. Remember, I've given you potential feasts of when Jesus could arrive for the rapture of the church, but this is not date setting, friend. We stay far from date setting, and we never will set a date. You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who's witnessed God's supernatural power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl is a unique researcher who investigates current affairs, societal trends, technology, cults, and end-time events, all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button 